Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering eight total conversations. Four on Saturday from episode 23, our discussion with Stephen Harrison about challenges and opportunities in Nash drug development. And Sunday, four more from episode 21, our discussion with EASL Vice Secretary Alexander Krag and Education Counselor Sven Franke about next month's EASL Congress 2023. This conversation picks up where the previous one left off on the topic of high screen fail rates. It looks at the various points in the recruitment process where patient screens out, continues to explore the items that predict that a patient might not screen out, and eventually returns to the question of whether establishing common guidelines or biopsy reads will provide greater consistency in reads and as a result lower screen fail rates and greater ability to predict which patients will not fail. As the conversation ends, I comment on learnings from the Brunt paper discussed by Stephen and Quentin Nancy as part of our NASHTAG 22 coverage, I think maybe season three, episodes four or five, something back there, that the way protocols score hepatic ballooning is in itself a large part of the problem. The previous Friday's FDA advisory committee meeting took a bit of wind out of everybody's sales and, once again, asked us to look more critically at what a drug must do to succeed in trial and in parallel. What steps the research community and stakeholders can take to improve patient enrollment process, which is the positive spin on the phrase, reduce screen fail rates. Last weekend's episode 22 conversation with Jörn Schottenbergen, Donna Cryer looked at this issue from one perspective, and this one with Louise Campbell and Stephen Harrison and me looks from a different one, somewhat different one at least. These are important issues if we are to provide patients and prescribers with the pharmacologic supports they will need to stem this growing pandemic of fatty liver disease. And we've got some top people commenting here. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. So can I ask, Stephen, did you come up with the ideal patient with all of the NITs you looked at? If there was a stronger patient to not scream fail, what would that look like? Stephen Harrison. Yeah, I mean, so there's nothing that's absolute, Louise. There's nothing that that gets us even to the 90% likelihood of screen success. But we are getting better at it. And we know that the higher the hemoglobin A1C, the more likely they are going to have disease activity and the fibrosis needed to qualify. And we've come a long way with our pre-screen strategy. In fact, maybe one of the best ways to pre-screen a patient is with something called FAST, FibroScan plus AST, where we know that in most of our trials, if we're honing in on a F2, F3 population, that taking a FAST score around 0.5, maybe 0.55, gives us the best shot on goal at having that patient qualify. But the other component of that is the variability of liver biopsy. So the variability, the sampling variability, the inter inter-rater uh, reliability of the read of that. I mean, remember, another paper I published shows that agreement among three pathologists for the diagnosis of NASH is only 50. It's like a coin toss, 50-50. So we've got that issue, and that tends mostly to be around ballooning. And, you know, we lack guidelines on biopsy reading process. We, like, we lack standardization on what that looks like. These are all opportunities that come with the challenge of identifying a balloon hepatocyte. And then we get to AI digital path. And to me, there's where we're beginning to see huge strides in mitigating some of these issues. But it also gets to placebo response, which I highlight in the paper as well. Roger Green. Yeah. So, Stephen, one of the data points that you had in here that I wasn't familiar with, it really kind of smacked me, were the uh, synergy per protocol biopsy changes. That if you added FAST and AST, you could get it down from 72 to 66, I think was the number, and among the non-hepatologists from 80 to 62. Yeah, it was about a 20% uh, improvement, yeah. Which, if you look at it differently, by the way, is a doubling the success rate. So I thought that was excellent. That's a lot. 
what would it be realistic to think we might be able to get it down to over, say, the next five years if you had a guess? I'm not going to hold you to it. Well, I think if we do some simple things, I'm not talking about even using AI-assisted pathology. I'm just talking about taking two expert pathologists. And I mean that in all seriousness. You know, our pathology brothers and sisters here are very good at what they do. They're well-educated. They teach the next generation. I mean, they're not novices. They're not idiots. They, they're very good at, at reading lots of different disease processes, not just liver disease. But I think they weren't all trained at the same location, right? It's a little bit like me saying, well, the patient has two plus pitting edema. Well, Louise, is your two plus my two plus? No, it's probably better to say the patient has two millimeters of ankle pitting edema. You know what I'm talking about now. Two millimeters. You can quantify it. You can measure it. You can come to the same agreement or disagreement. But when I say two plus, that's nebulous, right? So I think if we get at establishing guidelines on biopsy reading processes, this is how we collectively agree biopsies need to be read and we standardize those processes, we'll have a better shot at reducing screen fail rates. We'll have a better shot at reducing placebo response rates. And we'll do a better job of getting at the truth of is does this drug work or not work? I've heard this said over and over again over the past five years. The reason why the pathology is all over the map is because the drug doesn't work well. It's when you're on the fringes between an F1 and an F2, or maybe it's NASH, maybe it's not NASH. Well, if you just had the drug that worked really well, we we wouldn't have this issue. And, and I think there's some truth to that, yes, but I think the reality is if we standardize our reading processes and we put guidelines into place so that one expert pathologist reads the same as another, we'll have a better shot at finding truth. And this has come out. This has come out because, look, the reading methodology is all over the map, Roger. I mean, do we use two pathologists and they read independently? Or do we read, you know, do we have three pathologists and two have to agree? Do we have a statistical model that's put forth that takes discrepancies and determines whether it's agreeable or not? Do we take the mode, let a computer tell us which is likely to happen? They've all been done, right? Right. So I think that's that's part of the issue is just sitting down and saying, look, I agree. One pathologist is not going to get us where we want to go. I do think we need to have, if we're not going to use AI assist, we need to have at least two pathologists read independently, both the baseline and endotreatment biopsies. And before they ever read, they need to have some agreement on how they're going to What defines stage three? What defines in your mind a bridge? Is it one bridge, more than one bridge, half a bridge, three quarters of a bridge? At what point do we say this is bridging fibrosis? Same thing for cirrhosis. Is it a complete nodule, an incomplete nodule? How much tissue do we need to have in that biopsy before we're willing to call it truth and legitimate? Ballooning. Are we going to go classical or non-classical? Tell me what you use as your definition and let's agree on it. Let's harmonize on that and then let's go do the study. I think we've learned these lessons. We just need to be consistent in applying them. And it would be great if we could come out with some guidance that everybody could turn to to say, yeah, we're going to use the Roger Green methodology for how to interpret liver biopsy or whatever it is. I don't use that one, but 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 I take your point. So, so Stephen, I have two thoughts listening to you, right? First of all, everything that I've seen, and we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, we talked about it with Quentin back at NASHTAG a year ago about the Brunt paper, says that ballooning should be continued. Uh, 
continuous variable, not an ordinal variable, that you're just asking too much of that variable, even with the best readers in the world. And the second thing is we're, we're going to put up an extra episode sometime in June that, that we just recorded with uh, Arun Sanyal and David Kleiner about a trial that they're doing with histoindex right now. We're not talking about the data, but we're talking about the trial. One of the things that David, D- David, please forgive me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, but his point was that we're all spoiled by hepatitis because hepatitis you could do ordinarily. It is or it isn't, period. And this is just so much messier that maybe what we've encountered is the limitation of what the eye can observe. And that, by the way, is in your system where everybody's trying to observe the same thing. So it may be that going to continuous variables is, is to me at least, feels like such an obvious part of the solution. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, Jeff Lazarus will join Yorn, Louise, and me to review this weekend's Innovations in Natural Care Conference that Jeff and Yorn are chairing virtually as I narrate this. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.